It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. spoken and things are very much about to be broken here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. We are broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Hardy at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. I, of course, am John Alba, joined by the broken brilliance himself. I can say that now. I can say that finally. Broken, big money, version one, whatever you want to say. (laughs) I am all... Your essence, the deities, everything. We can get all this lingo into the equation here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy now. It all is canon. It makes sense, Matt Hardy. Yes, it is all in the lore of Matt Hardy. Having a shared universe, like Marvel's got their shared universe, DC's got their shared universe. Mm -hmm. The Hardy expanded universe, that seems like there's some big money in that. The broken universe. The broken universe. technically what it is. Sure, but I'm saying even beyond, like I'm looking at your shirt right now. Yeah. And I'm seeing Damascus... I'm seeing Big Money Matt. There's so much going on here. The multiverse that, of Matt Hardy. There you go. That was, that was the name we were thinking about for the podcast. But <laughs> uh, yeah, man, how's, how are things going? Uh, they're going well. I am really hyped to do this episode, to yes. go in depth about the final deletion. Don't <laughs> want to do it too loud. I don't want to break everyone's ears or the mic. <laughs> well, we have been having a lot of fun here on Becoming Broken. This is episode three of yes. our series with that. We got through the Big Money Matt feud with EC3. Mm-hmm. We got through you becoming broken and this contract signing that broke the internet, more or less. And it has set us up for quite possibly the most famous match of your career. And it's not even a true traditional pro wrestling match. Not by a long shot. When you look back in hindsight on things, Matt Hardy, and you think about the final deletion... What role did it play in you being able to have a job today with AEW and the role that you're in right now? It was a big deal. I mean, the final deletion is what got Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy, for that matter, uh, got them hot again. Without the Broken Universe and without Broken Matt Hardy and Brother Nero, I don't know if we go back to WWE because we were really like a red hot item at that time and, and WWE wanted to capitalize on as much as possible. And that just got that, that gave us both a career rebirth. People who have seen the final deletion, it sits with them and resonates with them. 
But how much do they not know about what actually went down that day? Oh, they have no idea. I mean, what was that catchphrase they used to say on the old show? Like, you think you know, you have no idea. That's what we're here to tell you all about on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. And before we get into it, we got a favor to ask of all of you. Head over wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Podbean, uh, different entities on Mars and beyond. Wherever you get them, leave us. How many stars, Matt Hardy? Sit back from the... Five! There it is. Five! 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 Give us all the fives. Five stars, and we'll be sending you a little something-something. If you give us a little screenshot, you might get picked to win something. Give us five stars. Five times! Booker T-Style, I was going to say. Booker Booker makes a lot of headlines these days, but he's such a character. uh, Oh, he's the ultimate character, man. Maybe we can get an episode in on Booker T at some point, because I I would love to chat about Booker. Booker's a a funny guy with a larger-than-life personality, man. You can't help but to to be around him and just enjoy his comments and his commentary. And Charmel was so great, too. Yeah, she was really good. But, like, Booker is truly a character. Like, when you talk about someone being a character that is, like, larger-than-life, Booker's a character, man. You ever draw any inspiration from him at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely been things. I mean, I think even part of the broken Matt Hardy voice changing a little bit was almost uh, <laughs> King a, a little throwback to some of the King Booker stuff. Some of the, uh, and I did this even before then, the V1, nah, just sort of, ah, at the end. Broken Matt did a lot of that as well. King Booker was one of the best character reinventions of that era. Yeah. No doubt about that. And yeah, that's that's interesting to hear that this may be a little allusion to King Booker there. So Matt, we are at the final deletion. And as we do every single week here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, we give you that special Matt fact, but this week's is extra special because this is a very special episode of the extreme life. So it's Monday on uh, the Twitch streams. It's Friday on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Matt fact, hit it with us. Matt fact, Matt was victorious in the final deletion. (laughs) <laughs> that he and was. That, that might have more than one meaning. Ooh. Okay. I'm excited to find out. So let's talk about the history of cinematic matches first. Let's do. Because that's not a topic that's been covered at length anywhere before. Um, they weren't all that common in pro wrestling until the final deletion. But that's not to say that they didn't actually happen before that. The general consensus in doing my research here mm-hmm. is that the first ever cinematic match actually took place in Japan in 1987. Masa Saito was New Japan Wrestling's top heel during that year. And Antonio Inoki, legend, everybody knows about Inoki, was top babyface. They had several bloody matches throughout the year, including a match in April with no ropes and handcuffs that everyone should go check out. Did you go back and watch this? I watched some of this stuff and it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Is it, is it good? Did you enjoy it? It, Hardcore deathmatch wrestling is not my style. Is that more of what this is? It's more more brutal. It's more brutal for sure. I mean, it's stiff. I mean, back in 1987, they're not doing stuff that you see today. Is is this shot like a movie though? Is it cut between scenes? This this part is not, but then that leads us to, uh, in October, they agreed to the Ganrujima deathmatch, which okay. is shot in cinematic style. It's not of the quality that we are used to in today, but it right. is not shot like a traditional wrestling match. And uh, they are on this island, more or less, and it's uh, absolutely insane. It's a total spectacle. It's two hours long, 
and it wow. ends with uh, an Anoki sleeper hold. So, um, is it two hours of nonstop action? <laughs> it's total nonstop action. Um, you mentioned back in the Omega days that there was some tape trading going on with Japan and whatnot. I take it this did not come up at any point. In no, I, I didn't see this. I mean, back then when we were young and athletic and acrobatic, we were looking for all the hotspots. Okay. We were going to be spot monkeys. Spot monkeys. So this did not come up at any point. But this did not. there was a cinematic match that you were present for in WWE. Correct. That was halftime heat mm -hmm. in 1999 between Mankind and The Rock. Mankind defeats The Rock during halftime of the Super Bowl. You were with WWE at the time. You guys hadn't quite grown into your roles just yet. But what did you think of halftime heat? I, I thought it was interesting. I, I thought it was a really interesting and, and intriguing concept. And I remember being there that day and they had part of the arena cut off because they were finishing uh, filming it, you know, before it went into production, obviously. And I, I thought it was a real neat concept. I mean, there's always been like in the old South, there were empty arena matches, right? And I remember it had like a feeling of an empty arena match, except it was going to be a little more cinematic. It's funny. Over the years, people were like, oh, I want to see another empty arena match because it's so different. And then we had this pandemic where every single night was empty arena matches. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we ever need to see another empty arena match no, thank ever, you. ever again in professional wrestling. But if I never have to debut in the very beginning of a pandemic in an empty arena, I'm good. You're good. Got it. Um, well, one thing that we brought up previously here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy was Michael Hayes pitched to you guys and Edge and Christian the idea of maybe doing a Funhouse-style cinematic match. Right. Now that we've talked about that, do you have any other memories from that in that pitch that he gave? I, I mean, I do remember that. You know, Michael was a very out-of-the-box thinker, and he was trying to think of things that would be different and original and unique. And he did pitch something that was very similar to that. And I wonder how that would have turned out if we'd have done it at that stage in our career, because we were very different performers. We were definitely thinking uh, more about work rate that actual the work of telling a story and, and being character performers. So I don't know. And it'd been really interested because it would have been an interesting scenario because Vince is like, he takes these things so serious. And that's why I took a different approach to the final deletion. I didn't want this thing to be looked at as too serious because at the end of the day, wrestling, it's these people are amazing athletes. They get in a ring and go have a 15 or 20 minute match, especially with all these unique spots and whatnot. But still, it's entertainment at the end of the day. And, and we can't lose uh, we can't lose track of that. I'm really surprised we hadn't seen any other cinemat cinematic matches in WWE, really, to that point. Because what's the famous Vince McMahon quote? We're making movies, pal. Right. Yeah. Like it seems like something that Vince McMahon would have had the forethinking on in order to do something like that. Do you remember at any other time during your run there of any cinematic style matches being pitched? Um, I, I really don't. I, I, I really can't think of a lot of cinematic matches being pitched during my time there as an active competitor. Uh, I was a big fan of the Roddy Piper Gold Dust brawl. deal that they had, the backlot brawl. And, and I thought that was cool. And, and I think those things are good every once in a while if you don't overdo them. I think that it, they can get watered down very easily. But if you have the, the right two performers and you have the unique and right situation, I think they work. So that gets us all the way back to where we ended our last story on last week's episode of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, where uh, you have said to Jeff that even after you've lost to him multitudes of times, you just need one match. You just need one match against him so you can finally delete him. You cannot move on with your life, mm -hmm. with your family, with your job, until you delete Brother Nero. So, 
I, I, I mean, I, I was of the mindset that he was like infecting my family tree and my lineage. You know, he had to be deleted out of the family tree. I had to get rid of him. So when does the idea for a cinematic payoff for all this feud come into the equation? Well, as I said before, after we did that contract signing, which was such a polarizing event, but it had so many people talking, we knew we were on to something. Billy Corgan did have an idea. He said, like, if Jeff does beat you in all these matches, and I'd said the same thing, I think I just need to win a match where all the stakes are on the line. And he said, what if you have, like, a match, like, in your barn, you know, in that dome of deletion? Maybe you and Jeff have a match there, and it's kind of like an empty arena match. I think that was his visual uh, – that's what he was visualizing whenever he talked about, you know, the original idea for this match, you know, where everything was on the line. But it started growing, and the more I talked with JB, and he'd been at my house to shoot several different vignettes and whatnot – uh, it became a fight all over the compound. It's like anything goes on the compound and we want to make it a cinematic style match. And we had a pretty bare boned outline structure of it, like on a storyboard. Uh, and we were adding it as we would go. But like Billy Corgan was the first one to suggest maybe doing something in what was the Dome of Deletion, the building out behind my house. But we ended up expanding it where it was going to be a false count anywhere match on the Hardy compound. Was he directly involved with the final deletion? He was not. Okay. So when... You and JB and I assume Jeff and maybe a couple other people kind of get this idea. Okay, we are going to do something cinematic. Who do you have to get that approved by? Uh, Well, the people that came up with it uh, at the end of the day who were like the be all end alls were myself and JB, Jeremy Borash. Jimmy Long, uh, which is Jimmy Paradise, the people that know him from his wrestling career. Uh, Jimmy Long is also an amazing guy when it comes to filming and editing and and just creative aspects of of, uh, cinematography like this. So we were the guys that were kind of the driving points. And Jeff, basically, he is not the the business guy. He doesn't come up with plans. It's just like you kind of tell him what you want him to do, and then he'll put his creative imagination spin on it. That's kind of how things work with Jeff. So basically, we were given the green light to go do this project without any parameters. Wow. You know, they said, just go do it, and this is how much TV time we need. And uh, literally, we knew we were going to have about a half an hour's worth of TV time for an episode to film this. And we decided to break it down into vignettes throughout the show to build up to this big final match, supposedly between Matt and Jeff Hardy, where Matt was going to win everything. And I'm not trying to like butter up or anything here, but when they tell you, Hey, we're, we're going to give you this much time on TV to work with. I imagine as a performer, you're licking your lips at that. And that's gotta be unheard of. That, that was the best during that time. I mean, literally they had enough faith in myself and Jeremy Borash, they would give us like, we have this many segments for you on television. You know, we have three minutes here. We have four minutes there. We have three minutes at the end. Fill it. Do whatever you want. Well, it's like, what did they have to lose? Because we documented it the past couple of weeks. They moved to pop TV. Not a whole lot of people are watching. Right. So what did they have to lose? Now, what do you remember about the promotional push, push for the final deletion from Impact's end? Uh, JB... Jeremy Warash was the guy behind that. And actually, I just spoke to him earlier today and he like sent copies of this to like people he knew that were like celebrities or famous friends, whatever I did to a couple of people as well. And we'd literally asked them to watch it on video and then make comments about it at the end. And that's how we tried to build anticipation up for this whole thing. And, and it really worked. It was a great marketing, uh, a great marketing play. And it was Jeremy's idea. I've had uh, several people that you have worked with in the past uh, prior to me doing this job, uh, they'd reach out with uh, their, their screeners or what they're called. Yes. Screeners of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And they, they almost they want you to like put a tweet out or something to be like, whoa, this is different. This is worth checking out. I got a sneak peek of this. And 
I think that's a really strong promotional strategy, especially for something different like this. Yeah, and and it, and it worked out great. It really did build a lot of anticipation. And some of the some of the wrestlers there watched it. I think EC3 is one of the guys who watched it. He made a video. There were several guys that did, and we were just like putting out putting out these videos, these uh, testimonials of people that have watched the final deletion in a screener, and they're just like, "Oh my god, I don't know what I just saw, but it's." insane it's so wild and it's just people like oh my god what what is this we got to check it out we know that people weren't watching much of this on tv so were you cognizant that the only way you're going to get hyped by this is through the internet that was that was definitely our goal we we knew that that was that was the market we were playing to you know they didn't have a huge casual fan base at that time no so we played to the audience that was actually watching the show and then plus, there's going to be people who are inherently curious about it, right? Yeah. Like, A, it's the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys are facing each other. We love the Hardy Boys. B, this Broken Matt character is something totally different. We haven't seen yeah. anything like it. And C, if everyone is talking about this thing being super different, maybe it's something I have to at least check out. Yeah. So, it's a sound strategy. Now, I want to talk about this because we mentioned the halftime heat cinematic match, but this is unlike anything that's ever been done. And we know that pro wrestling as a whole requires a suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. to a degree. We know what we're watching, as I like to say, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. But with that said, if we're going to buy something that is extra over the top in this sense, you're really asking a lot from your audience. Is there any concern at that point that maybe you're asking too much from them? I think we were we were all of the mindset that let's just go out and put on an entertaining thing that doesn't take itself too serious. And if you sit back and watch it, it's just like, whoa, what did I just watch? It, it was not going to be like anything that had ever been in pro wrestling. This was going to be uh, an island to itself when it came to an aspect of entertainment. And we wanted it to be kind of raw. We wanted it to be edgy. We wanted it to be campy. And we definitely one thing that we were very adamant about, we didn't want it to take itself too serious. Why did you think this would work? Uh, I mean, at this point, anything was worth a try because like literally TNA was uh, struggling and, you know, they were it felt like on the verge of possibly going out of business at any time. So, like, we really didn't have anything to lose. And it was just we were both very honored, myself and Jeff, as well as Jeremy Warash, to be given this opportunity and given this creative freedom. They're the best four words that any man could hear. I knew you'd come. (laughs) Are you looking to take your gimmick from broken to woken? Well, lucky for you, this episode of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy is brought to you by Blue Chew. I know a lot of wrestling fans have plenty of bravado when it comes to sharing opinions on Twitter. But what about when it comes to stepping up to the plate in the bedroom? That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. Now, if you're like me and you're always on the road or you're at work at different hours every day, no problem. You can take them on a moment's notice. And then what do you know? Things are about to get extreme. And the process is incredibly easy. Sign up at BlueChew.com and consult with one of their licensed medical providers. Once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And all those confidence problems will soon become 
obsolete. The best part is it's all done online. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy and you can spend your free time creating poetry in motion rather than having awkward conversations about your ladder breaking before you can get it set up. Blue Chew tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. House Hardy has grown in size quite a bit over the years. That's because I know the importance of taking the twist of fate into your own hands rather than letting yourself become a whisper in the wind. V1 of your sex life may not have been great, but V2 can be. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you have our promo code HARDY at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code HARDY to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank you, Blue Chew, for sponsoring our podcast. We've talked about in the last couple episodes different elements of media that you borrowed from for this broken character, mm-hmm. a lot of vampire stuff. Did the did you draw inspiration from anything in particular for the final deletion? Uh, as I told you, there's a lot of True Blood. There were some elements of Dexter, like uh, definitely Dexter from, elements from, here. from a personality aspect. Uh, Salad Fingers, which is a, a British cartoon, uh, very strange, very weird, very unorthodox. A lot of Broken Mat was. Uh, derived from that. Um, those those are the main things in in this, I think. Uh, but whenever we were whenever we were doing this, we had a, a pretty bare bones outline or storyboard. Basically, we knew we were going to start at my house. You know, we're going to have an introduction of the house party. You know, at Maxwell's birthday party, where he's turning one year old, which was like a legitimate set. We had just just had his birthday. And it was all set for his birthday. And then we were going to go to Jeff's. We we're going to do this thing with a whole bunch of drones. And I was going to introduce a drone that was going to be called Vanguard One, which was, uh, you know, in honor of version one, V1, Matt Hardy. And we didn't even have the, we didn't initially have the whole thing with the lawnmower where we we're going to mow over Jeff's grass. That came later. We knew we were going to have Senior Benjamin preparing the battlefield for massacre. And then we knew we were going to have this fight and we were going to have a little bit in the ring and then go out. And we kind of knew. Literally, we wanted to like get out by the lake and we wanted Willow to be a part of this. We didn't know how we were going to do it yet, but we knew everything we wanted to do and we knew what the finish was going to be. And when you say we didn't know what we were going to do yet, you mean like the night of or like the week leading up to it? uh, Like the day of. We we had a basic outline. We knew we were going to go from this ring. We're going to fight. We're going to go to the lake. Uh, Somehow Jeff was going to disappear. Willow was going to show up uh, after a senior Benjamin attack. And then we were going to fight again. And we knew at the very end, Jeff was going to jump off this big thing. And I was going to use the candle from the very first scene in Maxwell's birthday party to light this flame, which was going to burn Jeff. That, that's basically what we knew we were going to do. Some good old hearty full circle storytelling there. It's just kind of what you guys do throughout the course of your career. And that's a big part of this match. There's a lot of full circle stuff. Because the thing that's so interesting is like we had this bare bones outline. And we put meat on the bone while we were actually filming it and doing it. Mm. And we were also very exhausted the day that we shot this because we'd stayed up the night before just doing stuff. Like literally where you see this, what looks like a grave, the big hole where Jeff eventually falls off the the big uh, statue he has out there. Like he digs this. He does it with his, you know, backhoe. And he dug, he did that. Uh, I went out and I, I bought all the, uh, the di- different... Uh, 
torches that were out there. I bought fireworks. You know, Jeremy Borash went and bought fireworks. I mean, we we did all this ourselves. This was a very DIY project. Surely you ex- you expensed that all to Impact Wrestling, right? Not at all. <laughs> that was a, that was a big money Matt expense. Uh, and, and big money Matt and big nickel Nero expense. Even if you did expense it, I don't think you'd be hearing back from accounting uh, anytime soon. So. Uh, what day of the week was this thing shot on in comparison to when it aired? It was shot, and I'm not exactly sure of the day, but it was like eight days before. Okay, so it was more eight, than a week before. Eight, yeah, it was a little over a week before. It, it was right around Max's birthday party, and I want to say that was like on June maybe 26th, 27th, something along that. It airs July 5th. Yes. So. Yeah. So like I said, though, it was shot about a week before. Okay. And uh, something that is a, a really funny story. We knew we had did a lot of wild stuff, and we're pretty happy with what we did. We shot all the content in 18 hours, which is pretty amazing. We had four people that were working there. The actual office or the production crew from Impact was Jeremy Borash, Jimmy Long, Ben, and Tony from Merch. And Tony was literally like writing times so they knew where they could, you know, go with other clips whenever they would start and stop and do the clap and the whole deal. And then Ben was just there watching stuff because he was going to help Jimmy and, and JB edit. It is very much like an indie movie. Like you're making an oh, very, movie. Very much so. Yeah. Very, very much so. And then we started that day probably three or four o'clock. And the very first scene we shot was Maxwell's birthday party where we were in there with a the celebration. So that's exactly what I was actually going to ask you. This thing is shot sequentially for the most part outside of you mentioned the thing you went back the next day and shot, but sequentially. Yes. The only thing that was shot out of order actually was the scene where I get on the more of lawns right. and mow Jeff's yard over right. and like put a streak in his beautiful design. That was shot the next day. That was shot the next day. Okay. I asked that because I feel like when you shoot it sequentially, after you're able to look back on what you just shot or think about what you just shot, that's when you get more ideas for what can we do next? Is that more or less how it worked with the thought yeah. process? Yes, I think so. I mean, because we were we were filling in the blanks as we went. Right. And that allows for a lot of improv, too. It does. And, and even looking back, like it was raw, there's a lot of things I would have liked to have done different. But like it was truly, it was a learning experience. Like the final deletion just became the blueprint of all these other cinematic matches we did. We learned so much in that. I'm curious about some logistical questions here. And I'm not sure if you know all the answers, but... How many cameras were involved with the shoot? Uh, two. The drone camera and then the one camera that you shot everything with? or Three with the drone. Okay, three with the drone. Two cameras and then the drone. I feel like you guys were like one of the first people I can remember using a drone for like environmental shots. And now you see it everywhere. And I'm sure you guys weren't the first. But when I think about it, that's like the first thing I remember. I remember whenever we first used the drone... We did it during some of the Broken Matt vignettes, if you remember those. And you would see JB, he just got this, and he was so excited to use it, and he would fly it in. And he, these drone shots look so unique. And I said, man, considering I am, like, I just did Big Money Matt. I'm this rich guy. And now, like, either... That's exactly it. We have, to, yep. we, we have two ways we can go with this. Either one, something has happened to me, and I am supernatural. Or two, I've had a mental breakdown, and I've went crazy. So regardless of what happens either way, why couldn't we say that I'm, like, this rich guy, and I paid some guy to make this drone 
you know, have a personality and I can interact with him one night. He throws holograms. Well, and even not just the Vanguard shots, but there's a lot of flyover shots in general that you guys use as establishers. And what yeah. I like about that is it establishes the Hardy compound as a character. Yes, In the for story sure. that you're telling. It was a huge character in the story. So, and, and the enormity of the Hardy compound mm-hmm. too. So that's just something that stood out to me. Um, how did Rebby feel about you guys doing all this madness at the compound? Uh, she was good with it. I mean, she she liked having them out there too. She got along very well with with Jeremy and Jimmy, and and they were the two that would always come up and shoot. If it was if it, if there were more than one, it would either be JB. If it was two people, it would be JB and Jimmy. So she was cool with all of them. And then like you know, even having two more people, and we were outside the majority of the time. It was no sweat on her. It wasn't like we had these massive crews like we did for the the ultimate deletion or the elite deletion. It was a, a big change. Did you like it more when you had a much more condensed, smaller crew? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel like it, it just it made it more gritty. It, it, it made it more raw. And that's kind of what we were looking for. I, di- I didn't want to overproduce this stuff. Yeah. So just to make sure here, you don't have Billy Corgan, Dixie Carter, nobody texting you during this as it's happening. Hey, make sure you're doing this. This is DIY, JB, mm-hmm. Jimmy, Hardy's come back with something. I, I'm sure they probably got texts from those like, hey, how's it going? Sure. Or is everything good? But that that was it. You know, it wasn't like the ultimate deletion where uh, we started shooting it and then Vince started texting people at like 2 a.m. and then just started changing all the way around. You know, so it wasn't like that at all. This was literally we, you know, we, we had our say. And don't worry, friends, we have an episode planned on the ultimate deletion later this year and an episode planned just on Bray Wyatt. So uh, that yeah. should be both of those episodes should be very fun. Oh, they'll take it. They'll, they'll be fantastic. Dig into and, and it'll be interesting to compare and contrast how different these circumstances are yes hugely so, different before we talk about the match matt is there anything else anybody should know about the pre-production side of things because my mentor ian eagle always told me pre-production is production everything has to be done beforehand in order for you to successfully pull off what you're going to do in the moment so is there anything else that sets us up for this i mean the biggest thing in the pre-production was us just setting up everything because we did it i mean jeff a lot of the stuff, and it's so funny, I know I know this because in my mind, I'm so used to our properties. But like when you see the lake and when you see like the field or the, the dirt bike track, all that is on Jeff's property. If you see the dome of deletion, the building behind me or my house or the yard, uh, th- that is in, in, in my territory. So we're going back and forth, you know, and we, we're like a quarter mile away from each other. And one of the great things about doing cinematic matches, you really can't tell the distance between those things. Much like... In the ultimate deletion, we had a thing where Bray walked through my gate, but then he showed up at Jeff's house with the ring there. You know, so but, but no one knows that, and that's great. It's fun for me to think about this. About it. it's such a, a sprawling property, and the Hardy compound really is over huge as a character. But as I was saying uh, about this pre-production, we took our time, and I was spent all day. I drove to south of the border. I got fireworks. I got these tea torches. Uh, we made sure our referee was booked. Jeff took his bobcat, which is a backhoe, uh, and he dug out this, and he spent weeks building that statue that we we're eventually going to set on fire. So that's burn. handcrafted by Jeff Hardy? Yeah, that was handcrafted. I mean, he makes stuff like that all the time. He has several of those statues, statues or Man, things on his property. I love hearing about Jeff's creative. Like, yeah. I mean, you're so creative in one way, but he's very creative in the artsy yeah, way. And, very much so. And, and hearing that, that's so cool. Um, give me perspective. And you say that the Hardy compound is massive. How many acres are we talking about? How far from it's your not, place to Jeff's? It's 92 acres. And it's about a quarter of a mile okay. from like my driveway to Jeff's driveway. So it's 
massive. And, yeah. and that allows for a lot of good. Both, both sides of the road. And then once again, like we'd had Maxwell, it was his first birthday uh, and it was our first child. So we were going to do up a big birthday party for him anyway, but we had had that all set up. So that was basically the pre-production. I mean, we knew the areas we wanted to have these different scenes in and we just literally set it up all ourselves. Well, that's great because as we talked about, Maxwell and Rebby have been established as characters yes. on this TV show. Yeah, they so, had, had been for a while. So now they're part of this and segue time, baby. And before that, though, there is one thing. I, I hate that I omitted this. Uh, JB also got some fireworks as well. We had a surplus of fireworks because as he was driving to us, he did. He also had some old drones that were broken. And then he also bought, he bought a bunch of cheap drones, which are the ones we cheap would smash. Drones. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. So You know, a lot of people thought that was CGI when they first saw it. No, Jeff, quite literally. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it here. Which is I, funny. Gotta, people, people couldn't believe that. Like, that wasn't CGI. That was real. They said, you're really smashing those drones in this house? I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was as legit, legit as it gets. It's always better when you can use practical effects. It was real. That's why the Star Wars movies. Reality. We're better with the practical stuff. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up. What would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that, it was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, whoop, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans, buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying 
at conradreviews.com. You'll see there we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's savewithconrad.com. July 5th, 2016. Here we are. Mm-hmm. It's Maxwell's one year cumpleaños fiesta. Right. Uh, his hair is done like yours. I thought that was a nice little touch. Uh, whose decision was that? Was that a Rebby Hardy call? Yeah, that was Rebby's decision. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, we see the Hardy family together. Senor Benjamin asks Rebby if you're sick. Mm-hmm. Enfermo. She says that you're not sick. You're just motivated. That was done very much on purpose. The little sidebar conversation? Yes. I wanted him to mention, like, is Matt sick? Because, like... If people would buy into the fact that I am now this supernatural character, if it could be a throwback to the early 90s of WWE, that's what I wanted. But if people weren't going to latch on to that, then I was going to have a mental breakdown and have gone crazy. And then I'll come back out of it. So that is specifically why I put that line in. We get a nice, delightful. Can you give us one? A nice, delightful. Delightful. As you see that Maxwell has received a xylophone. From Senor Benjamin. An extraordinary xylophone. Was that his shoot birthday gift or was that for the sake of... Uh, <laughs> it was for the sake of television. Uh, which is so funny, too. That that phrase itself caught on so very I, much I, so. I'm an extraordinary sure xylophone. First, I'm pretty sure that it's the first delightful, too, I think. Um, you might have done it once before, but for, to my recollection, it's the first one. And then the xylophone, yeah. yeah. Um, just these small things seem to get over, mm-hmm. and it, it adds so much. The uh, the delightful. I actually got it. Uh, there were a couple just gonna ask that. monologues that Raymond Reddington did. If you ever okay. seen Blacklist, he would okay. use. Yeah, we did this, and we went to the beach. It was so delightful, and it was just like such a nice word. It, it sounded so nice and soothing when he would say it. So that is actually where that came from. It's one of my favorite gifs of yours. Between yeah. the wonderful, delightful, very easy to reply to anybody with those. Um, so you pick that up from there. Um, how was Maxwell behaved during this whole thing? Cause he's a legit infant here. He's a small child and you're asking him to sit through uh, a production shoot. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he was good. He, you know, that, that was, we wrapped his stuff up pretty quick. Uh, whenever we one day do a whole episode on the total nonstop deletion episode I had in my house where he had like his debut match. That's a, that's a story in itself right there, which, uh, you could tell that was a toddler trying to pull off a TV show. That was that was pretty difficult, but we okay. made it work. But yeah, he was he was good for for the majority of the time. He was really good. I mean, he was just out there with his family, people we were comfortable with, and he just was having a good time. It was still his birthday party. How do you feel about how the audience and the internet took to Maxwell because he became such an endearing little character as part of this broken universe? I mean, it, it was it was great, really cool. Really special. I, I'm really excited to see how he feels about it years down the road. I was just you know, ask, does he back. know? Like, does he recognize the role? He that does. He see he sees stuff now, and he'll look back and you know laugh at it, like, oh my god, that was so funny. I was so little. That's cool that I did that, Dada. You yeah, know. So awesome. he, he seems to enjoy it. That's all. Does he have any recollections there? Was he too young? He's too young yeah. for all that stuff. He'll go back and look at it, and he knows that he's done it before in the That's past. Cool. And both him and. My second oldest son, Wolfgang, Wolfie, they both take a lot of pride in being Hardy Boys. Yeah. You know, they, they know they're the baby Hardy Boys and this thing that Jeff and I do that they're one day going to 
have it turned over just to gonna them. say have they uh gotten the bug yet i mean they they enjoy wrestling okay so we'll see all right so i love this one thing you do after the xylophone thing you you break the fourth wall and you say that you've invited the audience to witness uh, the fight for the Hardy name, and you win it. What was the idea behind that, breaking the fourth wall and just speaking directly to the audience? Uh, I mean, once again, this was going to be a pretty in-your-face type production, and that's what we wanted. Like, we're just going to acknowledge the cameras are there, and, like, we're playing to a TV audience, and, like, if I had something I directly wanted to say to the camera, I would say it. As you did? And we get lots of overhead shots of Senor Benjamin preparing the battlefield after you asked him to. I was just going to say, too, I, I'd happened to see this before, and I don't know if I was necessarily inspired by it, but I thought it was very cool. Have you ever watched House of Cards? Yeah. You know, Kevin Spacey would do that, where he turned to the camera, and he would yes. talk specifically mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So I remember I'd seen that around that time, too, and I don't know if that necessarily was the inspiration for it, but I, I did think that was a cool, different concept. Yeah. And, and plus, like, this is so ridiculous this whole thing is so ridiculous yeah it's over the top you're you're almost forced to acknowledge hey what we're doing is really silly Mm -hmm. so why don't you come on in and enjoy the fun that's almost what it felt like you were saying with that well i mean we we were trying to like be over the top and like you know don't take this too serious but we might try and slide in a serious moment where we'll make you feel for a little bit but we want you to come back and laugh and we want you to go that was wild is the final deletion a comedy match I mean, it, it has to be to a degree. I mean, obviously, we were telling uh, a story, which in the big scheme of the story at that time was a pretty important story and, and pretty significant. But, yeah, I mean, when when you look at it, there are so many intentional moments that are there to uh, evoke humor. So, I mean, it, it could definitely be described as a comedy match to a degree. But it's got a lot of heart, too. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some moments like uh, – you know, where we'll do some things that we want to be like, ooh, this is like serious. I'm gonna like, ugh. It makes me feel on my on the edge of my seat. I'm I'm nervous. You know, we we just wanted to like evoke every emotion with people. So you told Senor Benjamin to prepare the battlefield. And we see a bunch of overhead shots mm-hmm. of him doing just that. Uh, I love the stock music that you guys use uh, on this. You just pull it from a song bank, and it's great. Once again, and we had uh, just a couple guys editing this, and they had to turn around pretty quick yeah. too. This is super trolly, this whole thing in the beginning here as you're getting things going. Uh, I know you mentioned uh, that salad fingers, as you said just before, was mm-hmm. kind of a big thing. Did you ever draw any inspiration from like any Adult Swim stuff? Because it feels like there's some of that in this, too. I haven't. I've never, no. watched, I've never watched Adult Swim. Okay. Yeah, ironically. Feels like there's a lot of that, too. You should, I'll, I'll send I mean, there, there, there's sometimes, even when we're talking about this as a comedy match, like I'm sure when you watched, I mean, Jeff had built like this platform on top of this tree where he wanted to jump off and hit me on the ladder. I mean, if, as you're watching that, I mean, it doesn't feel like a comedy. You're like, oh my God, somebody's going to die here. You know, I mean, that that was the whole point we wanted. Like we wanted to cover the whole span of emotion in this. Absolutely. Um, So then we go to Jeff at his place. Mm -hmm. He is being Jeff Hardy. He is playing his guitar. And let's talk about like from a cinematic filmmaking perspective, there are beats when I, when I use that term, a, a beat in, in filmmaking, like it's an opportunity to change the pace a little bit to allow for something different. There's a lot of beats that make this feel very much like an authentic movie. How aware of pacing were you when you guys were planning this thing? 
pretty good. I mean, JB was definitely the guy who was the ringleader of that. I mean, because he had experience in doing TV and doing production. So he is the guy that kind of controlled that pacing. And also we wanted a very drastic difference between the first scene where you see this outrageous broken Matt Hardy character as opposed to the second scene with Jeff, because it was very normal in the beginning. You know, Jeff's just there playing, da 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 And then, like, the outrageousness flies in with the aerial assault robots. Well, that's exactly what happens. Um, I, I guess uh, the one thing I have to ask about that, is there any concern when you're going into his house that, like, anything in his house is going to break when you're <laughs> filming stuff? Because it's expensive stuff. There. I mean, Jeff's just like, cool. I mean, they, they pitched the idea about him swatting them down. And uh, as I was saying earlier, there were a lot of people said, oh, my God, I mean, that, he really didn't do that. He didn't like swing this guitar yeah. and break it and bust these drones in his house. Did he? That was CGI, right? So, no, it was yeah. like they legit did it. I mean, they spent like 20 minutes doing that. What did you think about Impact's decision to layer the setup throughout the episode leading up to the actual match itself? I, I mean, I, th- I thought that was good. And, and I want to say that was JB's idea yeah. as well. You know, we kind of knew the, the, the time allotments we had. And I feel like anytime there's a big main event, on a show, anytime you see a guy warming up in the back or you go to an interview to get, you know, pre-match thoughts from a guy, it, it gives it a bigger feel, right? You know, so that's what we're shooting for with this as well. I was going to say, it's kind of the equivalent of a little pre-match promo mm-hmm. uh, between I like that. So Vanguard One, we see him for the first time here and he's spying on Jeff and lists his other aliases. Uh, Charismatic Enigma, very yes. popular one. Mm-hmm. Willow. Jimmy Jack Tompkins and Masked Mountain. Mm-hmm. What do you want to tell us about those? Uh, those were TWF, Trampoline Wrestling Federation characters. Yes. Whenever Jeff and I, we would literally have a, a, a show in a bag where we would wrestle each other seven different times and film it with a, a old school VHS camcorder. And uh, we would each play different personas and wrestle each other every single match. And we'd do a whole show of seven or eight matches. What, what was your favorite of those personas? I would say uh, the Jimmy Jack Tompkins because Jeff was just like super accent, super like hillbilly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so we have the drones then fly in. Mm-hmm. And you said that was a JB thing? Yes. Okay. Uh, is there, because there I was doing my research and there were all these theories on like, why are there seven drones coming in? Was there any reason for that or is that just arbitrarily the amount? Yeah, that, there was no specific reason for that. That was just the number of either old drones he could destroy or cheap drones he were he was able to seek out and buy. It's crazy. I'm doing the research and I see all these people who are doing these like, you know, like with movie reviews, people get like really super bougie and like in-depth with oh, reviewing they, movies. They went crazy. There are people like the, the hidden the hidden meanings behind everything yeah. that's going on. We're going to go through it, but... Were there any like hidden little, there's definitely Easter eggs, but were there like hidden metaphoric things throughout this as well? <clears throat> Nothing major. Okay. Um, you know, the, the biggest things were, it was like as a motif, you know, or like a, a theme. We wanted it to really be highlighted when Rebby was lighting the one of Maxwell's birthday camp, you know, candle, because that was going to be a big deal. That's what she was going to pass me to light the thing on fire because obviously senior Benjamin had, you know, prepared the battlefield for massacre. There was gasoline everywhere in abundance. So you guys end up doing this drone smashing and, uh, Jeff is getting freaked out here. He's, he's like, what the hell is going on? And then Vanguard one, uh, projects you. Yes. And, uh, you introduce Vanguard One with the 
hand flash, the V1. Yes. And so I'm glad you confirmed that before. So Vanguard 1 is a derivative of V1. Yes, it is an ode okay. to version 1. You announced, you announced the lawn is about to be broken, and we get the shot of you on the mower. That was after Vanguard 1 yes, flew out, right? Flew Jeff out. chased him on his oh, motorcycle. Yes. So sorry, yes. So the projection, you you set the scene for what is to come. Yes. Um, and then we get you on, on the lawns, which, as you just said, was taped the next day. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you say the lawn's about to be broken, and we get the infamous shot of you on the mower of lawns. Uh, I just watched this man, and I'm like... This guy is having the time of his life right now. How much fun were you having doing this? That 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 was fun. That was very painful too, though, because I'd been burnt the night before. True. Uh, so so I, I got through that okay. I it was it was painful to do, but I did get through it, and it and it was a blast. It was so much fun, and also the hologram. We shot that the next day too. Okay. You know, with just me on a green screen. And you just projected it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and that, even that's like a what the fuck for the audience. Right? Yeah, for like, sure. We, in the context of pro wrestling, like <laughs> there's never been anything like that. You know, and I'm there blatantly, you know, throwing that Easter egg into my past, you know, Vanguard one, you know, which is playoff V1, you know, and like later on, you know, Matt strongly dislikes mustard, which once again, a callback to version one, trying and- to keep continuity. And your your voice is distorted. It's very like Power Rangers-esque. There's like like yeah. these projections. It's, it's so fun and at the time, ridiculous, but in hindsight, it's really fun. Uh, did you have a hard time not breaking? And then no pun intended here, like when you're shooting these things, because it's so ridiculous. Like, you're going to laugh at some point. Yeah, no, I, I was pretty good. I was pretty good if I if I got into to character. I was pretty good okay. at, at holding on to it. Do you consider yourself an actor in any way? I mean, I'm an over-the-top actor. Okay. I mean, if, if anything, I, I do enjoy times where I get to try and be a little more subtle. But, like, I'm a pro wrestler, and pro wrestlers really aren't actors. We we play to the the last row in the top of the arena, you know, so we do everything over-the-top. And I'm, I'm very much an over-the-top actor. And I, and I feel like I excel. That's when I'm at my best, too, when I'm being something that's large in life over-the-top. Theatrical. Benjamin is shown preparing the ring with weapons. And fireworks. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, your first hint that something batshit crazy is going to happen here. Yes. And uh, from a storytelling perspective, I got to ask you, why was it important to show stuff like that ahead of time than surprise people? Because you didn't have to show him setting that stuff up. Well, we also wanted to integrate him because he 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 got over huge i was talking about about it with jb today just from that one appearance where i walked into the dome of deletion and he's like is everything okay mr hardy and i'll go yes senior benjamin you know just they're like who is this guy who is this mysterious hispanic guy is this like some is he an assassin like is he gonna kill people for broken man hardy who is he you know and they had no idea and and we literally utilized him in the final deletion because of that, because he was so popular from that contract signing. And and even, even before this, we were initially going to shoot something, a vignette with EC3 coming to my house during our program. And we had had it set that we were going to do it. And Senior Benjamin was going to be my butler as Big Money Matt. Mm. And this got scrapped and we didn't get to do it. So I said, you know what? I feel bad because I know you were all excited to do this. I said, I- I'll get you a part in, in one of our upcoming pieces. So Benjamin totally down to be part of all this stuff. I mean, we asked him to, and he was up for doing it. It's okay. not like he said, oh, I want to be part. I mean, he, he could care less. Now, as it got over, did he really start to enjoy being part of it? I'll tell you what. Whenever he started going and signing autographs and people were giving money, he okay. did a few appearances. He's like, oh, my God, how, why are people giving me this money? I, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, was Rebby really proud of that? Yeah, she she was pretty excited that her dad became, like, a big star. He, like, had this crazy cult following. <laughs> 
that's exactly what it was. Um, so we're showing all the stuff. Then you bring him gasoline. Yes. And you ask him to pour it over the field. The final deletion, Matt, is upon us. Yes. Uh, Kevin Keenan is our referee. Anything it, else you want to say on that? Go ahead. Yeah. Even before we get to that, like still, I love how we had to shoot that really quick because it was getting close to being dark and we knew we had to get onto it because we had a lot of content we wanted to shoot before the sun came up, obviously. And uh, I, I feel like we did that in, in one take. And I remember when I came up and I'm going, Mira, Mira, Mira. And Rebby's like, you're talking, you know, talk in your redneck ass hick accent saying Spanish. It's just so crazy. You know, but that was like part of the character and, and part of the feel. Like I, I wanted this, if we would have continued doing Broken Mat stuff in Impact and TNA, like I wanted it to seem like with languages and whatnot, I loved having the subtitles, having Spanish on there. I, I wanted there to be someone speaking in French. I, I wanted, you know, Russian, I, like all kinds of languages. I wanted to make it just seem like crazy, like global, worldwide, as, as much as possible. Like I loved that. That was part of the genre, I thought, because it was like so international. That's what I wanted to do with all these. It transcended borders. Kevin Keenan is our referee. He's driving up. He can't believe what he's seeing. I thought that was a really funny shot that yeah. you guys got of him. Uh, what do you remember about Kevin and how did he end up here? Uh, we'd been buddies with Kevin for a long time. Obviously, I knew him from back in my WWE days. And he had, I think he was interested in maybe trying to get a spot in Impact. And because we were going to shoot this on a day where a lot of the other referees were busy, we reached out to him and we told him we would pay him if he'd come down and shoot. So he literally drove down from like the Philadelphia area and came down and, and did the uh, final deletion with us. And shot. To tell you how proud he is of it. If you go on his social media, he refers to himself as the referee from the final deletion. <laughs> so that's definitely something that resonated with him. Uh, you said that you had a premonition. Yes. That he would be the referee. Uh, where'd you come up with the whole premonition stuff? Uh, once again, uh, trying to do things that would be like, a supernatural character, okay. you know, where I have powers that are above okay. mortal human beings. So that's where the premonitions came from. And I've, I've always, it's always kind of had a hold on me. Like people that have, you know, epiphanies or premonitions that they can see the future. I, I love stuff like that. Uh, you say that he is only here to count the pin or record the submission. And under no circumstances should he resuscitate Nero. Right. For he must be deleted. I feel like that was also one of the big attractions of Broken Matt. On top of just, you know, as time went on, he became more of a babyface. People loved hearing me pronounce words in crazy ways and, and really, you know, enunciate things. But, like, I feel like Broken Matt would always want to, like, be super verbose and, like, use all of these words that are, like, large words and, like, try and make things very complicated in however he said them. And that was kind of like my mindset would with speaking to him at that juncture. And just your general vocabulary that you're using here is just different. Yeah. It's just not normal speak. Right. Which makes you stand out. I, I, I will be honest and I will openly admit, full disclosure, like there was a lot of times when I was doing Broken Matt stuff when I would like have a term or a word I want to do. I was like, God, let me find something that's archaic. And I would use, you know, you know, define so-and-so. And then I would look for different synonyms and look for an archaic there word. You go. And here we are. So you pull out a violin that you claim is given to you by Antonio Stradivari. Yes. Uh, that is out there. Yeah. Uh, when did you decide that you would be reaching into ancient history or, or even, you know, medieval or, or whatever it may be for callbacks? I, I mean, right from the jump when I wanted to try this, when, when I determined that just like whatever body I'm in is just a vessel and it really doesn't doesn't mean anything. It's just a vessel. What's important is the essence that's inside you, your soul. And if your soul was in another vessel, 
200 years ago, you could have interacted and known all these people. And on top of that, you know, it continued to expand. And then I knew like when the soul of George Washington, it later ended up in a giraffe, you know, and I could still interact with him because like he didn't have to actually speak or be even human. It's just our essences communicating with one another. Napoleon and the fish. Yeah. It was all good stuff. To fiddle while Rome burns. Have you ever heard that idiom? I have. Is that the inspiration for you doing this scene here? Because it makes sense. It, it does. And and we did talk about that. We, we definitely had that in mind when we were doing it. But I think in reality, what happened is because I was playing the piano and it got over so huge, we wanted another classic instrument to integrate into this. It was very different. And, out of the blue. and like now, not only can I speak to different essences and not only am I cognizant of where my soul has been for thousands of years, I can also play every You're fucking f- instrument. fucking virtuoso. You know, yeah, I can, I can do anything, you know, and that, that was kind of like the whole, the whole, the whole, uh, yeah. attraction and, and, and lore to the broken my Hardy character. Lore is the word I actually used in my notes here yeah. because that is exactly it. Uh, to fiddle while Rome, Burns, of course, it means you're you're doing something mundane right. as tragedy is about to strike. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was very poetic for what we're about to see here. We actually, uh, Rebbe and I went and we rented that violin for the shoot. Nice. That was a specific thing. And you had thing. no idea how to play we went to, Not at all. <laughs> uh, we went to a, a musical restaurant. And I remember we, we shot that a few times too, just so it looked like, because Rebbe does know how to play. She's I mean, I'm sure that's not genius, a shocker. Right. She can play almost any instrument. And <laughs> she was out there watching. She said, that's not how you play. Like, do this. And she was like coaching me and like, to know this bad form do this and she uh, coached me through that thing and we did enough takes that I eventually looked usable usable yes well they get different angles yeah it's like spinning they and, cut around it and yeah that was good uh jeff's true armageddon you say that this is jeff's true armageddon mm-hmm. is that a reference to him winning the championship at armageddon it is not okay it is a reference to my high voltage character from the trampoline wrestling federation oh. because my final line would be uh you know countdown to your arm again. That was the end of my very catchphrase. So it came from that. We, we pulled a lot of stuff from back in the day. Even like the, the, the mask mountain and the Jimmy Jack Tompkins and stuff like that. There were, there's a lot of Easter eggs of that stuff in there too, because I mean, it felt like we're literally being backyard wrestlers, you know? So, so some of that stuff was incorporated. So happy you said that because I bring that up here as well. So uh, we're off and we're starting in a wrestling ring. Mm -hmm. It's starting as a match. Uh, Jeff throws you into what was it, like a board of leaves or it was something we found in my dad's that we could break. That was really easy that he didn't need that he was going to throw out. Okay. So, <laughs> so we took it and used it. It's so weird and so unorthodox. And people always go like, what was that? Yeah. It was just, it's so different and so crazy. And we just like, we're looking for yeah, things to break. Very strange, but yeah. it, it did look cool. Um, you come back in with the twist of fate, no avail. You attack his bad leg with a kendo stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you attack with a ladder. And I, I'm curious about this because we know that you just said you storyboarded everything, but when you're doing this stuff, is this more or less like just calling a match, like a, a traditional match, or are you just improving and just finding stuff? Uh, we we didn't necessarily call this like a regular match. We wanted to just start. We wanted to paint the picture or paint the illusion that we were going to have a match in this ring. And that's what was going to happen. people don't know what's to come. Yeah. Right. But we wanted to have enough of a match. And looking back in hindsight, I really wish we would have done a little less there and more on the outside. I think I think we would have benefited from that. Well, that's what we see in the ensuing cinematic matches that you do. Yeah. It's and, much more. And, and on top of that, too, we were both very exhausted. Uh, we'd been shooting all day. Obviously, we'd prepped all night. And it's just like 
nobody really cared about our in-the-ring wrestling. It, it really wasn't the story. It wasn't the, the main concept or the fun. The biggest thing we wanted to get out of that was have a little bit of thing, hit some bombs, a twist of fate, whatever it may be. Jeff was going to jump out of the tree and, and land on me on the ladder. We knew we were going to do that. you know. And besides those moments, we really didn't need to be in there a lot. So Jeff hits a comeback. There's a twist of fate, then a swanton, and it's just for two. I noticed there's a car in the corner of the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, was that just to light the ring a little more? Yes. Okay. That was we still we still wanted to have a dark, eerie effect, not be too slick, but like we did need light out there as well. So we we had very low light with those tiki torches that I bought, and then we also used those car lights. The amount of times in TV news where I used my car lights if I was out there alone as a light, all the time it worked perfectly. So yeah. it worked perfectly for you here too. Uh, Twist of fate backs you into a ladder laid across the ropes. Jeff climbs a mega ladder onto a tree. The stuntman is at work here, yes. Matt. Swanton, he clips you, he clips the ladder, the ladder dents. I imagine that just sucked. I, I say that like every episode. Man, that looked like that sucked. Yeah. This looked like it sucked. And I also, I remember laying on that ladder. I've had several of these moments throughout my career. And I go, this might be the last thing I do in pro wrestling. This this might be it. Like, <laughs> he might finally finish me on this one. And I remember thinking that there, just depending on how he landed on me. About how high up was he? Uh... Probably 15 feet, 16 feet. And it's that's nothing to him? Uh, no, I mean, it was like I, I went up there earlier in the day and it was like so it was hard to get your footing and it was hard to have good balance. I mean, but he he did it and he did it to the best of his ability and he actually was really safe and took care of me, uh, took care of me pretty well. And it, it had to suck for him. Yeah. Mine was, eh, you know, it like wasn't terrible. It didn't kill me. It hurt. But like his was really, really tough, yeah. really bad. The latter literally bends yeah. from it and it looks and that's like it's not a gimmick ladder it's just like a standard yeah it's just a standard ladder. one <laughs> sliding ladder not fun um so you then hit him with a chair and then here's the first firework you pull it out you light it on one of those tiki torches mm-hmm. and you're shooting a fucking roman candle at his face yes just another day at the office here? <laughs> yeah, it's probably not the first time Matt and Jeff Hardy have shot fireworks at one another. Uh, this is dangerous. We we tried to be very, like, he had that garbage can lid and he was just going to hold it over his face. And I remember telling him, like, whenever I aim the fireworks at you, I'll aim to your right and to your left and keep going back and forth. I said, but just make sure you keep the garbage can over your face the whole while, just so we don't hit that. Because if it would hit his body or whatever, it wouldn't have been a big deal. It could have burned him a little bit. But he, he as long as it hit his face, he'd be fine. But then what about... The production crew, because they're right up there on all that. They they were they they had their space. They were safe, and there was only a couple guys, two guys shooting, and a drone. Man, uh, my question was: I'm so glad you said this. Um, I wrote down in my notes: How many times in your hillbilly backwoods North Carolina upbringing did you shoot Roman candles at your brother's face? <laughs> and I guess it's happened on more than one occasion. It's probably happened a couple times. Okay. Yeah, on Fourth of July celebrations or New Year's yes. Eve. Okay, gotcha. Um, Jeff asks, "What's wrong with you?" And frankly, I'm wondering the same. <laughs> you think he's dead. And then you realize he's not. He has a candle. And now he's ready to shoot it at you. Yes. And I would also say, whenever I am firing those Roman candles at him, I'm yelling, delete, yes. delete, delete, delete. And that's the moment when delete really started to get over right there. So are you 
cognizant of that or is that instinct? Yes. I and, and I noticed too, I also said delete whenever I was choking him with the ladder in the ring when I watched it back. So I'd said it in a pro I said it in a promo on TV because I went back and looked for it. And I know I just used a lot of words like uh, that were would be a synonym of destroy him. You know, I said I must eviscerate you, I must annihilate you, I must delete you from my family tree. That's the only way my family will live in peace or whatever. And then like delete was a word it's like, oh it's kind of catchy. It's kind of like you know, used in pop culture a lot in this day and age. I said, I'll stick with that and we'll see if we can get it over. Well, it certainly does get over, but he's, he's shooting back here. Were you concerned at all? Were you, you ready to take those fireworks? I was, I was okay. I was ready. Okay. All right. So here's where uh, we start really expanding beyond the yes. parameters of the wrestling ring. Yeah, this is where the broken universe really kicks in the high gear. Yes. You run towards the dilapidated boat. But you you missed a very important part. Okay. There is a point where you see him pulling out the fireworks after I've shot all mine. Right. And he looks at me and I have this tool that I was going to hit him with or okay. cut him with. And when I see he has a firework, he's lighting up and he's going to fire say, me. Oh, oh, shit. But I totally dropped the accent too. Yes. That, I forgot about that. Yes. You said, oh, shit. Because I go, oh, shit. <laughs> Just in normal Matt Hardy voice. And that to me, that was very important because that. like now that I was actually afraid, like, Maybe he's not being crazy. Is it all an act or like what's going on? That was done very specifically. I like that because <laughs> you're right. You you break from being broken for a hot second there. Because I go, Brother Nero, you must be deleted, delete, 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 delete. But then when I see him and he has the fireworks, oh, shit. <laughs> I totally dropped the accent intentionally. <laughs> just to make people think like, oh, my God, is he just is he putting on this is a. But again, though, that's like a great and beat. Act. That's yeah. what I was talking about. Like, like it just—it's a total just change of pace, and like it's comedic relief yes. from the comedy already going yeah. on. But it takes it to that next level. So now you're running to the dilapidated boat. Yes. Um, eventually, we would get to know that as Skarsgård. Right. How that all come about? I, I little we'd had we talked about because we wanted to go down into the lake, and we knew we were going to run, and that boat was there. It, they just used it to go out and like. His, him and his daughters would fish on the lake or whatever. So we're doing. on Jeff's property here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah the, the lake of reincarnation is on Jeff's property. Okay. So as I'm running down there, I said, what if I just grab the boat and just like go crazy with the fireworks? I mean, obviously if I'm on the boat, you can, you know, shoot them at it. And, and we'll, it, they look so cool from above, from the drone shots. Like we just loved how they looked and we want to get as many as possible. Like we did that several times and I'm sure they edited the different cuts together. But whenever I said it's a dilapidated boat and I got behind it, that it is insane how many times people would tell me that in public and how beloved this silly boat would become. Yeah. Well, so where where the terminology come from? Uh, once again, I was just looking for another word. Like it's an old boat and dilapidated just ended up being the word that I landed on. You just on remember and chose. these things? Like you do it beforehand, you just remember to shout it? as you're- Yeah. I mean, I would kind of like, okay, I'll go here, dilapidate a boat, you know? Okay, I'll go here, dilapidate a boat. And then we do that. We fight, but that, it just, oh my God. Like, somebody's, it's a dilapidated boat. I mean, I would like literally be like pulling into WWE years later, you know, it's a dilapidated boat. I mean, it got so over huge with people, just that, that, that expression. And you're, you're just running, you're frantic, you're trying to get cover in the way you say it. Yeah. It's, it's like one of those things in like when you're watching a comedy, like when those lines get over in certain comedies, you remember those small little things in right. comedy movies, just those little moments. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening here. So um, this was not improv. You, you planned on saying that? Yes, okay. I, I did. I did plan on saying that. 
So he shoots at you and you use it as a shield. Yes. And and literally we weren't a shield where he could just come, you know, with like four and just shoot as many as possible. And And he just like burns it up. Yeah. That's great. It's awesome. And Broken Matt is desperate now. Whereas Broken Matt had everything in his favor. This is Broken Matt's match. This is Broken Matt's night. Right. Now the tables have turned on him. This is first sound of a comeback. Yes. And and but I like that because that's Pro wrestling storytelling. It's sure. a babyface comeback in this weird match. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, and that was the exact intention of it. So we're incorporating pro wrestling psychology into this. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Um, so you both start to struggle with one another, and we fall into the lake of reincarnation. Yes. Um, have you determined that this is going to be a lake of reincarnation at this point? We have not. Okay. It, it wasn't meant to be. We knew that our plan initially, I want to say the original plan that we talked about, like whenever we storyboarded this or kind of had a rough outline, was I was going to choke Jeff. We we're going to go into the lake and I was just going to hold him down for a while and then eventually let him go and he was going to sink. And then I was going to come out and I was going to come out of the lake and then he was just going to show up as Willow later from somewhere else because we want to incorporate the Willow character at this point. But then we just thought about it and I'm not even sure whose idea it was. It, it could have possibly been Jeff's. But he's like, what if I just like you sink me and you think I've been drowned, but then Willow just pops out. And I remember JB said, I love it. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And that was the beginning of the Lake of Reincarnation. Like if you go in as one character, you can come out as another. Yeah, that honestly, the Lake of Reincarnation is my favorite part of the heart. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, people love that. Because it gives you freedom to do anything. Yeah. And I mean, the, uh, I can't wait to talk about as we do the later iterations of these yeah. cinematic matches because you, you guys had a lot of fun. Uh, with that, uh, how gross is that lake? It's it's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it, it really it really is, and it's it's so funny that uh, you know we we were always because it was like our creation in the beginning. We were always up for going into it or whatever, and it's so funny. Like it's just so muddy, and the mud is stinky and it's dirty, you know. But like we would do that, and we would take dips. If we had to go underneath it, we would suck it up and do it. People love the Lake of Reincarnation, but it's certainly not a uh, a cozy, beautiful little chlorinated lake. No, it's a uh, it's hardcore. It's a passion fueled project. It for definitely you guys. is. Uh, you say Brother Nero has been flushed. I like that line. Yes, uh, but there's Willow. Mm-hmm. So some nice full circle storytelling here because this whole broken story began with the Willows. Yes, that's how we saw you introduced to the audience. And Willow had also been a major character for Jeff on of, of television course. as well. Of course. Um, but but just based on the fact that you were the imposter Willow, mm-hmm. I like all this here. Callbacks are a very important part of this form of storytelling. Yes. Is that a tool that you like to lean into when you're either not just doing these cinematic matches, but you can do callbacks in the ring too? Yeah, no, in cinematic matches for sure. I mean, in the more material that became you know, part of the lore of the broken universe. It gave us so much more to work with and just, you could do things in, in different ways, you know? So, so I love that. And the fact that there's been so many different personalities or characters or gimmicks in myself and my brother's career, then we can totally utilize all this in our broken universe storytelling as well. Well, and I feel like pro wrestling is always at its best when you reward the fans for paying attention. Absolutely. So especially if they, if they invest their precious, precious time to watch something, you know, especially if it's over the course of weeks or months, you know, you definitely want to make them feel like they're being rewarded for a good payoff. So Willow's got it up on you, but then Benjamin's got a taser. And he comes out with the uh, the umbrella too, correct? Yes. Yes. 
Uh, that gets him off you. Willow is laid out. You go for the cover and the win. Or is it? <laughs> it's revealed that Benjamin is in the Nero costume. And you are distraught at that. Yeah. I, re- I remember thinking of this like last moment. And I called it the Scooby-Doo spot. Yes. Because like we're going to take his mask off and it was going to reveal him, you know. And I'm, I'm sure I probably I probably wasn't very far from saying, I wouldn't have got away with it if it weren't for Brother Nero. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, but, but, but we did that and we said, oh, this can be a perfect way to like segue. Like he came up as Willow. We do this. Somehow he made the switch. He put Benjamin in the costume real quick. I mean, obviously, with the type of storytelling we're doing, there's nothing really off limits here. So then he uh, somehow dresses Senior Benjamin up in the costume, and then I pull that off. I think I've won the match. We have a big false finish. Then there's Brother Nero back in to continue the fight. We got a false finish in a cinematic match. Yeah. (laughs) It's insane. A couple false finishes. I mean, we thought I'd flush Brother Nero, but then he popped back up, reincarnated as Willow. And then once I thought I had Willow beat, it ended up being my own guy, Senior Benjamin. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance, super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. So I'm watching this and I notice that the sun is starting to rise. What time are we at around once we do this false finish here? With Benjamin. Um, We are probably around 5 a.m. Wow. At that time. And the sun hasn't started coming up yet, but we were getting very close to it. It was also during the summer. So we had to wait until like 930 before we could start recording because it had to be totally dark with kind of our – the intention. We wanted to be dark the whole while and film throughout the night so it had continuity. So it looked like it happened obviously you know, in 20 minutes or whatever. So – the sun, we, we were rushing to do the next shot. And you can see whenever Jeff is coming up, that big statue he'd created, how the sun is starting to come up at that point. How important was continuity to this? It, it was very important. I mean, that is why also, you know, we went back and we did that the next day, the thing of mowing the grass and whatnot. I mean, because like 
we may have we actually knew we were going to do that. We just didn't have the time to do it because we were trying to get everything as much as we could. And the scene that you saw where Senior Benjamin was preparing the battlefield for massacre, if you notice the sun setting in that, it's very much darker, like almost nightfall. And like as soon as it got dark enough, we wanted to roll right into the Kevin Keenan thing because we knew the biggest the the, the biggest battle we were going to face was beating the sunlight in the morning because we had such a small crew anyway. Is it the worst thing in the world if you don't beat the sunlight? Uh, Maybe there's a story to be told in that. You guys fought through the night. Yeah, I mean, in theory, yeah, I guess th- there there could be that, you know. But I know we were all kind of dead set, and we all had Most in our minds tired we as shit. I'd imagine exhausted, <laughs> and, and and we all definitely wanted to uh, to beat the sun and and knock this out and, and hit a home run with it. So Jeff climbs to uh, the top of his symbol as yes. you've been rolled into the. Is this the dirt bike area? Yeah, we're, it's it's not. No, it's not the dirt track. Actually, it's an area where he just has a lot of dirt and like okay. land, and he does different things in the dirt. When he built a big volcano, that was there. Okay, the volcano that he paid five thousand dollars worth. He he paid someone five thousand dollars to bring ten loads of dirt, and he just built a volcano. He did that for the uh, sake of Impact Wrestling and. Total nonstop deletion, apocalypto. And again, you expensed it to impact, and they were cool reimbursing, right? No, we expensed it to the Hardy Bank accounts. <laughs> uh, but, but one thing you you did forget there uh, yes, is, is Jeff grabs me when he first hits me after he returns from the Willow Falls yes. finish. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he grabs me, and he throws me in there, and he puts a chokehold on me. And we knew we didn't have much time, and we were rushing already. I said, so make it real intense. Oh, okay. You know, make this as intense as you can. Let's do it. That Jeff, he fucking almost choked me out. Really? I almost went. I, like, literally couldn't breathe. I Holy mean, if, if you watch it, he's, like, got it on. Like, it's an MMA fight. It's wow. like we're in the middle of a UFC matchup. I mean, he choked me so hard during that. Wow. Because, like, we were rushing to us. Yeah, just make it real intense and get on and get on. But he had me locked down. Like, <laughs> I did feel like I was about to go out. Holy shit. That's crazy. That was all one take. Yeah. That. Okay. that was one take. All right, so we, we were all doing one takes because we were racing the you sun. You trying to beat the sun, got it. Yeah. So you got you get rolled into the dirt. Um, it's a marked grave here, as yes. far as I see it. Uh, you're in dismay, but alas, in a moment of clarity, we get this flashback to the candle from Maxwell's birthday party. Mm-hmm. Uh, the candle is lit. We hear, and will only be extinguished when the final deletion of Brother Nero occurs. Correct. This is so great. It's interspliced with shots of you and Jeff from throughout the years. Right. Whose idea for the montage was this? My, mine and JB's. Uh, I, I want to say I presented the idea first, and I think he even thought to like put together some of the good times we had or the other footage. But I definitely wanted a little montage that was going to end with Rebby giving me the candle. Have you ever seen Armageddon? Bruce Willis. And I have. Like, I have seen it. It's feels very reminiscent of the scene where Bruce yeah. Willis is about to die. He's about to explode the the nuke on the asteroid. And right. Light, he's, right. He's his daughter flashing before his him. His life like, flashes. I was like, man, this is like, this is a big moment here. Yeah. And Rebby uh, hands you the lit candle. Yes. In the context of the story, was that supposed to be a mirage of Rebby handing that to you? Or is Rebby quite literally... Handing you the candle at this moment in time. It almost looks like it's a mirage. It looks like it fits kind of with the package, but no, it was supposed to be her doing it. Okay. And you could see it was a lot brighter there. And one of the points that I wanted to hit, uh, one of the beats I wanted to hit in this was just like how she was the person that also told me to stop giving, start start taking. taking. She was also the catalyst that had me do this and finally defeat Brother Nero. So she was like a very important part of my I just asked that because there's a lot of, again, these internet theories about this match. I read a million of them. They're like, 
Matt was near death and, and yeah. it was this mirage of Rebbe that gave him life and handed him this. So that was not supposed to be theoretical. That was quite literally. It was supposed Rebbe to be literal. Yes. That she, she was years. assisting me and making sure that I defeated okay. the evil, awful brother Nero. So you light the ground on fire. The emblem goes up in flames. Yes. And Jeff takes a wicked spill off that ladder. That, that had to have hurt pretty bad. Um, it's one of those things where, in all reality, it hurt me a lot more than really <laughs> hurt me a lot worse than it hurt him. Interesting. Uh, I mean, he he did land on the dirt. At least it was kind of like soft dirt, which had been dug up. I mean, it. it I'm sure it sucked, but like it wasn't too terribly bad. Uh, if if you notice, we're rushing so quickly. Yes. As I said, we're trying to beat the sun. Right. We take this gas and you know we put it all over the ground as fast as we can. We don't wait for any of the fumes to go. We just go. You know, and action. Do it, yep. And we it do it like very quickly uh, immediately. Yep. And then like I light it and you can see the fumes. Like if you watch it back in slow motion, you can see where like the fumes come all underneath my arm and oh like it goodness. burnt the shit out of me. Holy shit. And and it's so funny because I'm doing that whole pose at the end after he falls off and I cover where I'm like trying to look all cool and hard. And in my mind, I'm going, fuck, fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuck. You know, like I knew I was like, I was like, I hope I'm not fucked up bad. Like I didn't. I mean, I mean it was extremely painful. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Are you are you a Star Wars fan by chance or no? I, I'm not. I've never no. seen the Star really? Wars series. Never yeah. seen the Star Wars. I'm I'm one of the few. When spoiler alert, when Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, mm -hmm. uh, he they're on a volcano planet and he lights up in flames and there's it's this very emotional thing and it gave me big time Mustafar vibes and I'm watching and I was reading stuff and people are like, Oh my God, they like took from star Wars and stuff like this. That's why I had to ask. So no inspiration from that whatsoever. No, just pure coincidence. Yeah. I like that. Okay. You pin Jeff and brother Nero has been deleted. Yes. Uh, this is crazy. Um, and, and I own the entire Hardy franchise, the Hardy brand. Yes, you do. And him brother Nero. I've got a nice little what culture theory here. What culture speculated the fire is particularly important. On one hand, it's a callback to the brothers' 2009 WWE feud, feud where Matt where pardon me, where Matt claimed to have burned down Jeff's house. It could also be interpreted as another reference to the Roman Emperor Nero, who was rumored to have Christian set alight and left in his garden as a source of light. You're telling me that's all bullshit. Yes, even like to the the whole thing of burning Jeff's house down. I, we never like that. We would never bad do, taste. We never do a callback. I, I remember thinking during that angle, I was like, you know, me being jealous of my brother, who's historically more popular than me. That's sure, thing. I can yeah, see that. Sure. Or if I had his fireworks go off or do things to embarrass him, but like burn his house down. Oh, wow. I think that's it. Might be a little jumping the shark because we're trying to play this angle as serious. Yeah. You know, it'd be different if it was a broken universe angle. Yeah. You know. Okay, so no theory here. No, this is just. You just want to do fire. Yeah, literally, we, we were trying to go go out with a bang. All right, so let's get to it, Matt. Where did you watch this thing? Did you have a watch party? And what were your nerves as it was airing? That, that's a, a very interesting question. Um, I had got to see it before, obviously. And there I, I was pretty happy with it overall. There were some things I wish could have been different. There's some I, I wish the, the wrestling in the, in the ring would have been a little shorter. But like overall, I really liked. I liked what we did. I liked how it didn't take itself too serious, but there were some moments that would make you, oh, you know, there's some moments you would just burst out laughing. Uh, and, and that's what we were shooting for this. We really wanted to cover the whole spectrum of entertainment. What was the reaction from your peers and people in the company? 
it, it was interesting because they just weren't sure how to react at first because it was kind of unlike anything else they'd ever seen, you know, in context, in the context of pro wrestling. So there were some people that would see it and they go, oh my God, this is brilliant. This is genius. And there's some people like, uh, what is this? This is a, a very funny story. So JB had told me him and Jimmy, they were like working overtime to edit this, right? Because they had, you know, five or six days to do it. And they were going to have to find all these music. It just the soundtrack is so good. Like the, the change of music, the way they did the soundtrack, the change of music when we're shooting the fireworks and when Jeff shoots the fireworks, everything, they do such a magical job at this. It's so good. But they waited until a day before to show John Gabrick. And it had been ready a little bit before that, but they waited till the very final hour. And we decided to do this because this way we weren't going to be able to say that, no. That way, right. We knew it had to air. We got to air. They, they, yeah. they, they couldn't fill, you know, 30 minutes of airtime on the show unless they had this. No. So we're going to make sure they didn't have the time to shoot anything else. So we very specifically That's did crazy. that. But like John Gabbert, to, uh, JB just told me today, he reminded me, and I remember this, but he jogged my memory. He said, whenever he showed it to John Gabbert, to Big, who was head of talent relations and creative at this time, and he just said, okay, here you go. You have a, a blank canvas. You guys do whatever you like. Whenever he watched it, he said, well... Um, I don't know if this is the best thing I've ever seen or the worst thing I've ever seen. He said, I certainly know Vince wouldn't let this fly, but we don't have time to replace this. We don't have time to film anything else to put on television. Uh, and you would have to literally be a maniac to put this on TV. So I guess you guys can start calling me maniac. <laughs> that was like a very famous quote that you'd have to be a maniac to let this be on TV. And then I know Dixie had saw it shortly thereafter. And I'll never forget, like two hours before it aired on Pop TV, she sent me a text. She said, oh, my God, Matt, I am so nervous. Like, what? what is going to – I am so nervous. Like, is, is this going to be okay? Like, oh, my God. Because, two, you have to remember, Big comes from Vince's world. Right. And, like, Vince, would, Vince wouldn't tolerate any of this. And Dixie you know what I mean? comes, doesn't come from wrestling at all. <laughs> so you get two polar. And, and you have someone big who is kind of thinks – Kind of in the same mindset sure. that Vince does, because that's what he—that's what right. he kind of come, came up underneath. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, very smart. That was I, JB said. I think we should wait to the last minute to give it to him. That decision. way, we can ensure it goes on. From the Observer, it got the company more attention than anything they've been doing, and they're out there trying to market it, such as creating a Senor Benjamin character and marketing T-shirts. Immediately, they were selling T-shirts, writing Senor Benjamin Landscaping Company, Lawn Landscaping Battlefield Preparation for Massacre, Cameron, North Carolina. Yes. That popped me. I like that. Um, I mean, he, he, there were a couple of times he was like the top selling t-shirt on Pro Wrestling Incredible. Teams. Incredible. Uh, the scene was as wacky as Matt's new character has been. Different is usually good, unless it's different in a way that's rejected. And TNA needs something different. When things are desperate, you have to figure out ways to be creative. Ultimately, <laughs> the public will decide one way or another if they do or do not care about this kind of different. What do you think about that? I mean, there, there's truth in what he says, without a doubt. I mean, but we, I feel like it took us a while to win people over because they're like, is, is this thing intentionally supposed to be bad? Or is this like just different? Or are they thinking out of the box? Like, I'm not sure what's going on. But like, if we would have went back to being normal directly after it, I think it, it wouldn't have gained the notoriety. No way. We had to continue on the same trail. Then eventually we were like, oh, I get what did, they're doing Did now. you know that once this, where they're like, okay, we need to I, I mean, I, I, I knew this after the contract signing. Okay. I mean, when so, it was so polarizing and so many people were pissed off, but it evoked emotion. And I was like, man, we've got something here. We just have to capitalize on it. Um, so he's talking about there are a ton of Google searches for this. It's doing really heavy internet traffic. 
And a, a lot of people are paying attention to it. And, and he says, uh, truthfully, the reality is that because of all the talk that it's getting, quote, it'll be copied probably incessantly going forward, <laughs> end quote. And that is uh, pretty much, like we said, this is the formula for what would come of cinematic wrestling. I'm, I'm very surprised, too, you didn't have the ratings in your notes. Uh, there's there's no star rating for this. No, no, no. The actual television rating. Oh, the television ratings. So tell us about... So This was the only thing that ever broke 400,000 on Pop TV. There you go. On the live showing. And then, like, on the DVRs, it did record numbers, you know, over the course of a week, the plus three and plus sevens. Well, it did do huge internet traffic. And 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 one thing about it, JB, and, and I told JB this as well, like, once it had, it came out and it started going viral, I said, dude, we need to upload this whole thing to the website so we get the traffic. And JB did. He uploaded the whole episode to the Impact uh, uh, YouTube web- yep. website, and then he got in trouble for it. And they said, what are you doing? Take it down. There's still people trying to watch it on Pop TV and, you know, it's, it's oh, doing good there. <laughs> and, and then he did. He, 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 he was reprimanded about it. But you know what happened? Over the course of the next two or three days, people all over the internet put it up and it would have three yeah, million views, exactly. four million views, five million views. What a stupid decision. It was terrible. Man. And then eventually, oh like two weeks later, I got them to upload it again. Yeah. You know, and still, like I was watching today, it's got two and a half yeah. million views or whatever. You know, but like, dude, if we would have put that up from oh, the beginning and they were listening, yeah. yeah, it, it would have had 50 million views oh. because everybody was talking about this insane bullshit that the Hardy Boys were doing on TV now, you know, because it was so different from, from anything else. He says, this was not meant as a blow off, but as a start of something new. Yes, that is correct. So, and, and, and I mean, I was at this point too, where my brother, Jeff, he feels like he owes the audience every time he wrestles. He's sure. like, I need to give them the swanton bomb. I need to give them the whisper in the wind. And part of my motivation for doing this, not even in context of storytelling, was I wanted Jeff to like slow down. I, as Brother Nero, I literally wasn't going to let him go to the top rope. I wasn't going to let him indulge in his addiction. And I was trying to like help him retrain himself, you know, to, to like get more longevity out of his yeah. body and whatnot. Like I was. That was, that was like, it was kind of like a twofold And it, and it was purpose. something new and fresh for Jeff. And like the Brother Nero character allows Jeff to sink into some of his... Uh, little idiosyncrasies that make him Jeff Hardy, mm-hmm. right? The contacts. Right. It's it's a good look for him and all it that. It was great for him. I mean, it really revitalized him. Yeah. Much like Broken Matt revitalized me. So he says the entire WWE creative team watched it together, which led to the copy that we would see on July 11th, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, Even were, before they got their hands on it. So so this is, this is what I was going to ask you. So tell us about this here. Uh, so obviously I have a, a long standing relationship with Chris Jericho. We've known each other for 25 years. He had actually loved that I was doing something so different. And so out of the, out of the blue as broken Matt. And obviously it's great that he is complimenting you on it because he's obviously one of the masters of reinvention. Right. And I said, well, dude, this big blow off battle that we're having, that's going to start a new story with myself and my brother together. I said, we, we shot it and it's called the final deletion. I said, would you like to see it? He's like, yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Please send it to me. And they were on the way to Japan or in Japan. And he watched this and he got back to me immediately after I'd sent it to him, you know, right after watching it. Half an hour later, he's like, dude, this is brilliant. Like you're on to something. This is, this, this is something. It's going to have people talking for sure. And then they were having, while they were in Japan, sitting around the hotel, they were like viewing parties. Like if you didn't show up on time, they wouldn't let you in the room. You had to be there at 1 p.m., <laughs> 3 p.m., or 5 p.m. Your tickets and all that stuff. Just wow, like a movie. Crazy. You know, like if you want to watch The Final Deletion, and then I start getting texts from Just all, all the these boys, people. Yeah. It's so great. You know, and this is like a day before it is, is going live on TV. So it hasn't even aired yet, and they're doing this. Right. Gotcha. Wow. That had to feel really good and give you confidence that this thing would be a success. 
I, I, I knew it was going to have people talking. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know. I, I, I'll be honest. I didn't have the confidence to think it was going to turn into what it became. Sure. But, but I, I did know that it was going to be something so different. It would stand out and it would have people talking. So creative watches it in WWE and they rush produce a compound match between the Wyatt family and the New Day on July 11th. Uh, what is your reaction to that when you see that going down? Uh, I remember watching that and I, I know the backstory about that. They had a lot more content that they shot and they like cut it down to like nothing and, and totally like uh, really scrapped it down to like bare bones apparently. But I just thought it, it took itself too serious. Yeah. You know, like it was so. There was nothing fun about it. It was so outrageous mm-hmm. and over the top. You know, it wasn't like winking at you like we did. We were obviously winking at you. You know, there would be times where I'd break the fourth wall and talk to the camera. So obviously we weren't taking ourselves too serious. And I feel like their mistake was they did take themselves too serious. Yeah. I just think, Matt, when all is said and done, this is something that like changes wrestling. It, it totally changes wrestling. How are you feeling once you see that people fall in love with this thing? It was polarizing, but generally speaking, yeah. it's a very positive reaction. Yeah, and a, a lot of people that weren't so sure of it and in the beginning, they came around to it. I mean, you were one. I very much you know, was. Uh, the what culture people were. Mm-hmm. They couldn't book Broken Man Hardy fast enough, you know, later. <laughs> once they started doing a wrestling promotion. So, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was really rewarding, obviously, that I, I had this vision that, that really – Came from myself and JB. JB was a master of like, if I had an idea about something outrageous for this character to do, he would be the guy to talk to and he would know how to how to translate that to, to a production and put it on video and make it look good on TV screen. We talk about how the tag team ladder match is the match that put the Hardy boys on the map. Mm-hmm. Is this the match that put Matt Hardy on the map? I mean, for, for definitely thinking out of the box and doing something as outrageous and as uh, unpredictable as Broken Man Hardy, for sure. For sure. I mean, it stood out. One of the things I could tell you that was so powerful, this is the, the greatest compliment anyone could pay me. And I heard this over and over and over again. There were so many people that said after I left WWE in the beginning, like, when are you going to go back to WWE? I want to see you and your brother do another TLC match. When are you going to go back to WWE? I want to see you and Jeff do another TLC match. People started saying, when are you and your brother going to do another final deletion match? I want to see another one of those. It was crazy. When are you going to do another final deletion match? And, and it didn't get over because of pop TV and impact wrestling per se. It got over because it became a viral sensation because the internet was so trendy at that time. Do you take it as a badge of honor when you see all these other cinematic matches then that happen after this? Listen, the Undertaker's final match is a cinematic match. Right. The Boneyard match doesn't happen without the final deletion match. I, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I do take it as a huge compliment. You know, that I, I wasn't afraid to go there and it ultimately turned out to be a success. Regardless if you loved it or hated it, it was a successful thing. It was also named the Impact Match of the Decade. Of the Decade. That's wild. Considering that's a company that in the beginning of that decade had Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe. And yet it's this cinematic match that wins Match of the Decade. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal for Impact, especially when they had been... Uh, really just kind of like cruising along like with no momentum for quite a while. And it was something that had everybody buzzing about Impact Wrestling at that time. And the last thing that I want to add on all this as we wrap up here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, you were saying before how there was a lot of allusions to your backyard wrestling stuff. And as I watch this and getting to know you and knowing your career, I feel like this cinematic final deletion is a love letter to the beginnings of the Hardy Boys. It's backyard 
backwoods mm-hmm. North Carolina. Are there any sentiments like that as you watch it back? I mean, with, without a doubt. I mean, that's like even when the verbiage came up when I told Jeff, like, we must, this almost end in the genesis of our beginning or whatever I said. I don't know, something very wordy in broken mat speak. You know, that that's, that's what I was uh, referencing. You know, we literally started wrestling in our backyard and we bought a wrestling ring and we started doing shows and we would wrestle in that wrestling ring, which would sometimes be in our backyard. It would sometimes be in Trevor Lee's dad's yard, you know. And that's what we were doing at this point in our career. We'd kind of like come full circle. And we were literally not just fighting in our yard. We're fighting all over our property. This is the first time you've had a chance to speak long form about the final deletion. Is there anything else you'd like all these Matt and Jeff Hardy fans to know? I mean, just even the, the, the work that we did to do that. I mean, we did like big preparation, you know, the, the, 14 or 15 hours before this. And we'd barely slept that night before. And then we started shooting about 3 p.m. that day. The first scene that we shot was the scene in the building, Max's birthday party, where we kind of like set the stage for everything. The next thing that we shot was the deal with the drones and Jeff uh, up to the point where he got on his motorcycle and chased off Vanguard 1. And then we shot the scene where they were preparing the battlefield for Massacre with uh, Queen Rebecca, Senior Benjamin, and myself. And then we were getting dark, we did the thing where Kevin Keenan showed up as the referee in the beginning of the match. And then we shot the match and then everything that happened through the match throughout the night. And obviously, as I told you, we were racing sunlight. And both JB and Jimmy, they had flights that following evening. So they had to get it done. Once the sun came up and I was got the shit burned out of me uh, and I was selling and hurting, we went back to our houses and slept for two and a half, three hours and then we got up and then we filmed the hologram. And then we filmed the scene where I was on the moor of lawns and I destroyed his lawn art. Uh, and then we finished up the project and they took off and hauled ass and made it to the airport wow. to catch their flights. You know, we were definitely on time constraints and then they wanted to start trying to turn this thing around. But the whole thing was shot. And if you think about it, it's so crazy because there were, you know, myself, my brother, Rebby, Senior Benjamin, Kevin Keenan, Maxwell, Vanguard one, we can count him as a character, you know, seven characters in the story. And then we had four people doing the production, which was a very, very small act. And we shot this thing in 18 hours altogether. And that includes two and a half, three hours of sleep. It's a testament to the amount of passion and love that went into these characters and this story that you guys were trying to tell. It's probably the most deeply personal story of your entire career. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it, I don't know if I feel like it's deeply personal because it's not as serious, but I mean, it, it, it's something where it's kind of like a throwback to what two young kids in Cameron, North Carolina did to try and realize their dream. And now, once we've realized the dream and we've been on the biggest stages and the biggest platforms, we get to go do that again yeah. and create it in our own way. And I just mean that too, like you are getting to do everything you've wanted to do here. This is your full creativity. Yeah you're getting to show it. And then after the final deletion, we go on an expedition. That is correct. And that is what we have next here on Becoming Broken, the expedition of gold. That's it. What can people expect with that episode? Uh, You can see me trying to train my brother into working smarter, uh, not necessarily harder. Uh, trying to uh, get some longevity out of his body and becoming the Brother Nero. And he really embraced Brother Nero. And he li- he liked it and enjoyed it whenever he really got the uh, got the feel of it, of what he was doing. And then uh, we end up going to territories all around the country. Uh, hell, all around the continent because we went to Mexico. 
and we're uh, teleporting, we're having fun, we're doing outrageous stuff, and we're, we're literally doing what Vince always aspired to do. We are making movies. Pal. That's exactly what's going on here on The Extreme Life of Mad Hardy. Make sure you subscribe. Don't miss an episode. Leave that five-star review, and also check out the House Hardy on Twitch. Rebby, Queen Rebecca doing everything uh, every Monday there, especially with Matt. The Mattitude Mondays. Don't want to miss that. Uh, Matt, this has been a blast, and I could see it on your face. You were smiling this entire time. This really... It's fun to talk about. This is a lot of fun to talk about. I'm glad we did. The words have been spoken, and things are still about to be broken. We'll see you next time here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. 